Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, "Uh uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. Welcome. Welcome. Welcome to Book Club with Michael Smirkanish. Hi, it's Michael Smirkanish. As a Sirius XM and CNN host, I'm known for speaking, but frankly, I read for a living. I need to know what to say, and so I consume over two dozen newspapers and websites daily. I read opposing views and studies and court cases and orders and op-eds just so I can discuss current events on radio and television. But my favorite reading? Books. Old school. And my favorite interviews? are with book authors. Book Club with Michael Smirconish is now in session. Franklin Four is the author of the hottest political book in the country. It's called The Last Politician, Inside Joe Biden's White House and the Struggle for America's Future. And he joins me now. Franklin, thank you so much for being here. What a pleasure. Thank you. Dude, you've been everywhere. Is Is there any meat left on the bone? Is there anything I can ask you that has not yet been asked? Well, that's a test for you, not for me. (laughs) Okay, so here's the question. Here's the question. What is it that is contained in these several hundred pages that when you put it to bed, you thought that's going to be a a focal point of conversation that, to your surprise, has really not been thus far? Instead, people grasp, you know, the Kamala aspect and that they're not having lunch and so forth. What's in this book that you think is deserving of more discussion? I think that, uh, well, here's one thing that surprised me. I mean, I have kind of, my book has appeared at this moment where there's this media maelstrom about Joe Biden's 
age. And actually, age is not a very big theme in my book. I have I, I honestly assess it at the end and I tried to talk about it in a very nuanced sort of way because aging is a very complicated issue and everybody ages in a different sort of way. And there's a distinction between the public brought Biden and the private Biden and the image that everybody has focused on, on Biden and kind of what the the more complicated reality is. But um, I really am fascinated by what Bidenomics actually means that I tell this story about this guy who was known as the Senator from MBNA. So he comes from Delaware, represented the finance industry. And then he ends up taking his economics in this direction that veers away from what Clinton, Obama, what had been the consensus for a long time. And I kind of think that the world that he's uh, starting to erect with industrial policy and antitrust and the like is going to define American political economic life for a generation. And it's pretty significant and it's uh, it deserves a conversation unto itself. It's become a, a buzzword used by both sides. Right. I mean, he's using it in defense of his record and, and trying to say that he's he's building something. And those who are antagonistic toward him are already derisively using Bidenomics as a label for inflation or the situation with unemployment as they perceive it, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. It means different things to different people. It's a Rorschach test. Yeah, that's right. But I think if we took it at its kind of most basic, it's it actually, which is that the Biden people use it to talk about good economic indicators. But really that in this constellation of bills, and that's the story of my book. One of the stories of the book is this legislative story. And that's actually something that hasn't gotten that much attention that in a 50-50 Senate with Joe Manchin and Kirsten Sinema being kind of the uh, middle senators, he decided not to just do the minimal that he pushed for this bill, $3.5 trillion in social spending. He tried to go for broke, tried to, to get a place in the pantheon of Democratic presidents and um, you know got so close to shooting the moon. And then what he ended up with was actually pretty significant. But I love the legislative ins and outs, all the um, the Oval Office meetings where he's trying to twist arms, um, the tensions that he had at various moments with Nancy Pelosi over his reluctance to come up to Capitol Hill and ask people for votes. And then when everything falls apart, um, there's this unlikely resurrection at the end. Are right, you ready for my answer to the question in terms of yeah. having read having read your book, the aspect of it that I think is is more worthy of conversation? It's kind of not fair because the Afghanistan withdrawal has been part and parcel of Franklin Ford's discussions. But this is the Book Club with Michael Smirconish podcast from Sirius XM. Hey, the national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new SUV like an adventure-ready RAV4. Available with all-wheel drive, your new RAV4 is built for performance on any terrain, from the road to the trails, and with plenty of passenger and cargo space, plus available tech like wireless charging, you and your entire crew can stay connected. Or check out a stylish and comfortable Highlander with three spacious rows of seating for up to eight passengers and with available features like the panoramic moonroof. You can sit back and enjoy the wide-open views with your whole family. Plus, both RAV4s and Highlanders are available in hybrid models, so no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and save on gas. Visit your local Toyota dealer 
and check out amazing national sales event deals on RAVs, Highlanders, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. If you're like me, it's now the end of the day, and you say, uh-oh, what are we going to have for dinner? Well, here's the solution. Eating better is easy with Factors Delicious, ready-to-eat meals. Every fresh, never-frozen meal is chef-crafted, dietitian approved and ready to go in just two minutes. You're going to have over 35 different options to choose from every week, including Calorie Smart, Protein Plus, and Keto. Flexible for your schedule, get as much or as little as you need by choosing your meals every week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries at any time. Also, there are more than 60 add-ons to help you stay fueled up and feeling good all day long. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking for fast, premium options with no cooking required. Sign up and save. We've done the math. Factor is less expensive. Then take out, and every meal is dietitian approved to be nutritious and delicious. What are you waiting for? Get started today and get after your goals. Head to factormeals.com slash smirconish50 and use code smirconish50 because you'll get 50% off. That's code smirconish50 at factormeals.com slash smirconish50. Get your 50% off. VR training platforms like the one developed by Fundamental VR and Orbis International are helping surgeons train over and over before operating on real patients. As you practice each skill, the muscle memory starts to develop. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. We got another day of NBA action, so it's time for your FanDuel crew to make their bets. You know that new customers who bet $5 get $200 back in bonus bets if you win. Make every night a watch party only on FanDuel. 21 plus and present in Virginia. First online real money wager only. $10 first deposit required. Bonus issued is non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire seven days after receipt. See full terms at FanDuel.com slash sportsbook. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Listen to Michael live weekdays on POTUS, Sirius XM channel 124 and on the SXM app. There's kind of a device in the book. You told the story in part through the eyes of somebody I never heard of, John Bass, who sort of gets this call oh my gosh. And, all, and all of a sudden is thrust. I don't know why, but of the whole book, this was the part that just spoke to me. Like, here's a guy who you tell the story. Where was he and what was he doing when the phone call comes? Well, first of all, I feel seen because uh, that is my as, as a matter of writing and reporting was my favorite part of the book. John Bass had been the ambassador to Afghanistan and he'd left the country. And as things were falling apart, he's sitting in a seminar room in Virginia uh, teaching a class to future ambassadors. And he gets a call from Wendy Sherman, the number two of the State Department, saying, we need you to come because the existing ambassador to Afghanistan a guy named Ross Wilson had basically had he, he was emotionally fried, um, was not up to the task of managing everything himself. He says, we need you here. And so he drops everything, goes to REI, buys hiking boots, buys uh, hiking pants, buys cliff bars, swings by the State Department, gets a computer and then is on a jet to Kabul and arrives there in the middle of the mess. And it's his job to untangle things. And I just there was one moment at the end of his first day where his inbox is filled up with people asking him for the names of Afghans to save. And he goes to the whiteboard in his office and he starts to write down the names of all of these Afghans. And he knows he won't be able to save them all. 
the invasion wasn't designed. It was just that the Ghani government, it was just that Ghani's government permitted it. What is it I'm trying to express? What you're, what you're saying is, is that the Taliban would have preferred to have a negotiated uh, agreement that would have let them take power because they didn't want to become a pariah. But instead, as Ghani's government collapsed, the Taliban just drifted into Kabul. Yeah, and they were totally ill-equipped and or disinterested in running the ultimate control points in that catastrophe at the airport. Well, they weren't prepared to do it. They'd never, you know, they hadn't governed in ages. And this was chaos beyond anybody's ability to control. And by the way, these were individuals on whom we were relying that just weeks before we were launching strikes against. It was a complete reversal of the roles. And yet we were now totally dependent upon them. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, we had to. So uh, there's another great character in the book, Chris Donnie, who was the. Uh, uh, the guy who was commanding the 82nd Airborne, and he had to meet with his Taliban counterpart every day to come to negotiate how to deal with these crowds. And so um, you can imagine the, the tension in that relationship. To go back to John Bass, I guess I should refer to as Ambassador Bass, and I'm just going to pick up a, a, a paragraph that I, I highlighted in the book. Over his day, Bass would drop everything and join video conferences with Washington. He became a fixture in the Situation Room. Biden would pepper him with ideas for squeezing more evacuees through the gates. Quote, why don't we have them meet in parking lots? Can't we leave the airport and pick them up? Bass would kick around Biden's questions with colleagues to determine their plausibility, which was usually low. Still, he appreciated Biden's applying pressure, making sure that he didn't overlook the obvious. I didn't know, Franklin, until you wrote this, just how in the weeds the president was at that particular time with the exit strategy. I mean, he'd be talking about, hey, can we go get them in the parking lots? Astounding to me. Yeah, well, it's one of the things that surprised me about Biden in general and recurs in other contexts, which is that he has a very wonkish interest in problem solving. And so when there is something like a baby formula shortage or in this case, more dramatically, the problem of getting refugees out, he starts to dig into the intricacies of the problem and and pokes and prods and gets really can get really frustrated at time with his aides because there's an impatience there when it comes to this sort of problem solving. And here he's got the map of Kabul in front of him and he's like, he's, he's, he's really into it. He's really into the weeds. Well, somewhere in the book you wrote that he craves advice, but is often resistant to it. Yeah. I mean, he is, um, he's somebody who has been around and so he's got lots of fixed theories about the world and he has a circle of advisors who are very relatively small, who've been with him forever. Ron Klain started working with Joe Biden in 1988 when he was 28 years old. Uh, Mike Donilon, his speechwriter and political operative, has been with him also since the 1980s. And they're almost like a family to him. And um, they have a certain cadence of talking to each other. And they have a understanding of the way that Joe Biden's mind works. And aides who don't know how to brief Biden, have a harder time working with them. On that subject, uh, I was reminded when I was reading the book uh, of an incident that happened with me where when he was vice president, I wanted him to be a guest on this program. And ultimately, the the interview took place, but with a lot of work. 
And I had an intermediary who, who knew him well, who was lining it up for me. And at one point he came back to me and he said, you know, he's, he's not eager to do it. He doesn't want to invest the time. I'm paraphrasing. But the suggestion was that in order to come on to my program, this was going to require more preparation than the vice president was either willing to give me or had on his schedule. It always just struck me as odd. Like, you know, he speaks for a living. He's in the fishbowl. Like, what does he have to prepare for me for? Right. And then I get to your book and you, you say that, that he is a voracious reader and preparer before he puts. And I think that it probably will be a shock to my radio audience. Speak to that issue. Well, you know, when Barack Obama needed to prepare for an interview or a press conference, he would essentially run in the opposite direction of his aides. Biden is completely the opposite, that Biden is afraid of ever looking superficial or like he doesn't have complete command of his material. And so when he prepares, he ends up falling down rabbit holes. So he'll start asking questions about policy. He doesn't accept talking points at face value. So he he tries to understand what he's being. And so occasionally it'll be like, OK, you want me to talk about childhood poverty? Well, can we bring in the expert here who knows something about this? Because I got some questions. And then you have this um, cascade of of experts who are pouring in to make sure that he's got this intense understanding of an issue. And it surprised the hell out of me too. I, that's not the Biden I thought. I thought he was somebody who improvised and he kept getting in trouble for his improvisation. But I think he knows that about himself. And the preparation is a means of trying to curb uh, the gaff potential. Because because of the gaffes, the gaffes, whether, uh, you know, predicated on because of the, the childhood uh, speech impediment or not, there is a perception out there that he is a seat of the pants guy, which you belie in this book and which I know from that anecdote, which I've just shared. Yeah. And I kind of wish that people had a sense of what Biden is like when he's able to talk without the cameras on him, because it's very, very different. Um, he's somebody who, um, of course, like the stories can go on for too long sometimes and um, he sometimes gets lost in his own stories, which he enjoys telling so much. But then there are these other moments that come a second later where he's giving you the grand tour of the uh, the Indo-Pacific and he's talking about American strategy and it's so detailed and he can make all the pieces fit together. And you see the benefit of the wisdom of, of having been involved in this so long and also the deeply psychological way that he thinks about global leaders and the very cold way that he's able to think about strategy um, in like the most abstract foreign policy sense of it. I don't accept at face value that he's announced that the headquarters is open and that he's running. I, I, I believe there's increasing likelihood that that he takes an exit ramp. My question for Franklin Four is this, having immersed yourself in the first two years of the Biden administration and understanding the dynamics of the relationship between he and the vice president, if if he were to decide not to go, do you think that he endorses her or that he looks more to Obama as the playbook, even though he was the spurned one who coveted that Obama endorsement and didn't get it? Honestly, I have I, I couldn't answer that question with any real sense of certainty about which way he would go. And I would actually doubt that he's thought his way to that point. Um, and I think that uh, it would be very complicated because I think he sees a lot of things through the prism of his own experience as vice president and virtues of loyalty are things that matter so much to him that 
it's hard to it's hard for me to imagine that he wouldn't be but that we're you know this is so many steps ahead of where we are right now that it's hard for me to wrap my mind around Okay, well, at least speak to the relationship, a subject that you did write about in the book between the two of them, because you say the lunches have dropped off in in the same way that people might be surprised to hear that Joe Biden is a voracious preparer before he puts himself into a public setting. They might be surprised to hear that Kamala Harris, I'm doing this from memory, but it stands out in my mind. Somewhere in there, you said that she's got rabbit ears. You know, that, that she's yeah, attentive. Yeah, yeah. She's attentive to the perception and all that, you know, like the conversation that takes place about her and her capabilities and so forth. Like she's dialed in on all of it. Yeah. And she tends to um, instead of yeah, instead of tuning it out, she rushes to that criticism. That's what they, uh, the, the source meant when uh, they conveyed rabbit ears to me as that description of her. One thing that was striking to me that I uh, I looked kind of discovered as this went on is that there are these interesting parallels between Harris and Biden that um, at the beginning of their presidency, COVID restricted their ability to travel. And so one thing unique in the history of the presidency is that the president and the vice president were in the building every day and they were going to, you know, many of the same meetings with, with, with together. And they ask a lot of the same questions in, uh, in meetings. It's a very practical, gritty sense of the way the policy works. So if this program is going to be introduced, how are people going to know about it? How are they going to access it? Um, you know, in, in very, very, uh, 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 gritty questions about implementation of policy. Um, like Biden, she has her own insecurities and her own worries, and she tends to probably prepare too much in the same sort of way that Biden prepares too much. And um, it, it, I found those parallels uh, pretty interesting and, and inevitable because they spend so much time around one another. Trump didn't uh, participate, didn't attend, I should say, the inauguration, did leave behind the uh, the customary letter. You note in the book that it was surprising to Biden, President Biden, for its graciousness. I was surprised to learn from you that early on, and this would have been, you know, post January 6th, obviously, there was contemplation of reaching out, some degree of contemplation of reaching out to Donald Trump to try and get him to help sell vaccination. Ultimately, they didn't do it. How close did they come to asking him? Not not very close. It was just an idea that they kicked around. And I think ultimately... Um, I think it, it it was interesting that they even entertained the idea, but then they they understood that they were liberal Democrats, that they didn't actually understand how to talk to the unvaccinated. And they worked with the political pollster, Frank Luntz, who is a Republican who had done all sorts of focus groups. Right. And in those focus groups, it turned out that the unvaccinated actually would react very badly to Donald Trump instructing them to take the vaccine. So they avoided that course. I think we're finished now. I mean, I think between all the other interviews and now the crumbs that I was left that I could fill in the, the blanks, I think I think we've pretty much covered it. What do you think? Well, I mean, I'd say one thing that I I hope that people take away from my book, which is, you know, there are these news nuggets in the book, but I actually tried to write a book about governing and that I um, as a tonic for myself as a reporter who'd covered Trump, I I wanted to make governing as interesting and six, sexy and compelling as I know it to be. I think you succeeded. Look, I, I'm just, uh, you know, giving you a workout here. I thought the book was great. <laughs> it's also unique. I mean, by now there were probably 50 books two years in, three years into the Trump administration. I think you stand alone. Final question. The title, The Last Politician. How come? 
because we live in an age of anti-politics. The last two presidents that we elected, both Donald Trump and Barack Obama, in their ways campaigned against the system, uh, posed as leaders of movements. Biden believes in politics to his core. You can't mistake him from anything other than a politician. His theory, Have Democracy Survives, is that we have to restore the place of politics, of persuasion, of compromise. And there were so many times as I was writing this, I felt like he's he may be naive. He might be wrong. He's certainly out of step with the times. Um, and uh, I ended up garnering a huge appreciation for the vocation of politics and the politician. And I and I and I think that the politician deserves more respect than we culturally accord it. Well, nicely said. And I wish you all good things with the book. Franklin Four is the author. It's called The Last Politician Inside Joe Biden's White House and the Struggle for America's Future. Thank you, Franklin. Appreciate it. Thank you so much. Book Club with Michael Smirconish. New episodes drop Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Listen to the Michael Smirconish program weekdays on Sirius XM's POTUS Channel 124 and anytime on the SXM app. Connect with Michael on Facebook, Twitter, YouTube, and at Smirconish.com. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. It's that time again. Time to start thinking taxes. But this tax smart move for 2023 could make it less painful. Open and fund a Fidelity IRA before the tax deadline. You could reduce your taxable income in a traditional IRA or get tax-free withdrawals in retirement with a Roth IRA. Plus, there are no account fees or minimums to open an account. Get started at fidelity.com slash IRA. No account fees or minimums apply to retail brokerage accounts only. Fidelity Brokerage Services member NYSE SIPC. 